Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, Well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors uh, here, and I want to especially welcome you. If this is your first time worshiping with us, it takes a lot of courage to walk into a new church for the first time. And so uh, welcome. Uh, if we can serve you in any way, we'd love to do that. People wearing yellow uh, lanyards all around. Uh, I'll be in the hallway after service. I'd love to greet you. Just as a way of saying thanks for, for coming. Uh, also, if this is your, your church home, a reminder to, to connect with us, whether that's through the bulletin, the connection card, you can do that online as well. But uh, let us know you're, you're here so we can uh, uh, pastorally care for, for everyone. Uh, well, we are in uh, week three of our Gather initiative, unveiling that uh, to our church about where we feel the direction of our ministry is going to go in the next two years. And, and just as a reminder, that vision is, is anchored around four ideas. We want to first gather ourselves before God. Uh, this is a season about being a church connected to the presence of God, deepening in that experience. Uh, we want to gather together as, as one church. This is a season about being more deeply connected to one another, uh, laying down our preferences, asking how can I be the tangible love of Jesus to my brother and sister here in our church family. Uh, To gather those not yet gathered, this is a season to ask, why have so many fled the church in the last few years? How can we be good missionaries and seek to reconnect those who have left or those who have never heard the gospel back into the church? And a season about gathering the next generation. Uh, to look to the next generation and invest um, in them. So we hope as, as we've unveiled that piece by piece, you found that vision compelling. If, if you have questions, we have the Gather Hub out in the lobby. You can go and ask anything you want um, there. Uh, but we are uh, deeply believe in what we believe God wants to do in and through Liberty Bible Church. And so if you find that vision compelling, we, we need your help. And so here's what we're going to ask you to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Uh, to spend those weeks praying and seeking God and ask, how might I contribute to this Gather initiative, to the next two years of ministry here at Liberty? Specific, specifically, uh, we've handed out commitment cards uh, to the whole church, as well as there's one in your booklet as well. And ask you to pray through what might a financial commitment be for March 1 of this upcoming March for the next 24 months to the end of February 2025. Now I wish I could tell you everything we're planning over the next couple of years is free. Four people found that funny. All right, thank you. (laughs) My people. Uh, But it is not. Uh, The advertising industry invests $5 billion every year into the lives of our teenagers and students. How much is the church investing in the next generation? Our buildings are not accessible or friendly to those in our special needs community. This this room, for example, being a sloped floor if you're in a wheelchair, uh, that can be a painful experience. So we want to have a flat floor for people to worship in that that costs money. Our ministries exist on, on multiple floors throughout our building, most of which are not uh, easily accessible. 
And our building, it's confusing to new people. The feedback we constantly hear is someone walks into our building and they're instantly lost and confused. And it's difficult to navigate, especially for our elderly saints. And so uh, we want to address those things and lean into our, our vision. But that will take sacrificial generosity from the life of our church to make that happen. Um, and so, so here's two ways you can join us as we, as we pray through that. One is, is next Sunday nights will be Advanced Commitment Night at Chesterton High School. It's going to be a really fun night. A night of dedication, worship, uh, prayer and celebration. We got child care, so if you need that, we got you covered. Um, and if you're a leader here, or even if you're not, if you're, if, you're even, if you're just new, we want you to come. If you're a committed member to this church, we want you to come because those of us who are committed to this place, we need to go first in terms of our own commitment to the body. And so it's a night where we'll come ready to take our first steps of what a two-year commitment like might look like in generosity towards funding the next two years. And the second way you can be involved is, is two weeks from uh, today, on Feb- Sunday morning, February 12th, we'll have a commitment Sunday this, uh, in the Sunday morning worship service where we'll all have our opportunity to, to make those commitments. So we're going to talk more about that over the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm just putting that in front of you um, for you to, to pray about how God might use you to serve the next generation, those not yet gathered in our church family. And our goal is for every person who calls Liberty home to join us in the Gather initiative to reach those not yet gathered. But to get there, we got to start with goal one, which is to gather ourselves before God. So I'm going to going to open his word, uh, but before I do, I'm, I'm going to pray for us and, and actually begin to set up the story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, so if you can turn to Isaiah 36 and 37, that's where we'll be, but I'm going to pray for us first. So let me pray. Father, I'm grateful that I do not have to seek you alone. I'm grateful for your church community. And we want to be a community that is shaped by your voice. Uh, And so may the words I'm about to speak be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I see your voice is loud and clear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the theologian and boxer Mike Tyson famously said, Everyone has a plan. Until they get punched in the face. Now I've never been punched in the face. But that sounds true. And we can walk through life confident. Assured. Then out of nowhere life hits. And suddenly. Disorientation. Confidence shattered. We don't know what to do next. And in those moments of life, disoriented, confused, unsure, when life punches us in the face, what do you trust in to get your life back together? That's the question of Isaiah 36 and 37. And in a moment, I'm going to read part of that story. But before I do, I need to tell you who this story is about. Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, which means we are dealing with a king for the third week in a row now together. Week one, King Uzziah. 
The ministry of Isaiah began the year King Uzziah died. A sign of difficult things to come. The powerful king lay dead. Week two, last week we dealt with King Ahaz. He trusted in his ingenuity, his power, his wealth to get his life back together. But it didn't work. And so this morning's story, we're dealing with the fallout of Ahaz's failures. And the person who must deal with the fallout of Ahaz's failures is his son, Hezekiah. In Isaiah 36, life has punched Hezekiah in the face. And Ahaz made the decision in his life not to trust in God. But if you remember last week, he trusted in the world power of his day, Assyria. And in this story, Assyria has had enough of Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been fomenting rebellion against Assyria all over the world. And so Assyria starts systematically destroying each city of Hezekiah's kingdom, one by one. And when Isaiah 36 picks up the story, Assyria has destroyed destroyed the last city before Hezekiah's city, Jerusalem. And now they are coming for Hezekiah and Jerusalem. So we meet Hezekiah in Isaiah 36, the same place we met Ahaz in Isaiah 7. Inspecting the water supply. Preparing for a coming attack. How much water do we have? How long can we make it when the Assyrians show up? But there's a difference between what happens at the upper pool between Ahaz last week and this week with Hezekiah. Ahaz was met by the prophet Isaiah who came to assure Ahaz, God will help you. He will protect you. But Ahaz didn't want God's help. So that means this time Hezekiah is not going to meet the prophet Isaiah. He's going to meet a representative of Assyria. Since Ahaz didn't want God, God's not going to show up quite yet. And so Hezekiah meets a representative of Assyria called the Rabshakeh, which is a great title. What's your job title? Whatever it is, it's not as good as the Rabshakeh. And the Rabshakeh has a simple message for Hezekiah. Prepare to die. So let's read the text. Uh, And I'm going to ask, if you're able, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read Isaiah 36, verses 1 through 10. And a quick heads up. When I finish, I'm going to say this is the word of our God. And then you say together in unison, thanks be to our Father. Since God has spoken to us, we give him thanks. So hear now the word of the Lord. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah to Jerusalem with a great army. He stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, 
the king of Assyria. On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust, now that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. And this is the word of our God. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, so that whole story is about one question. Verse 4. The first question of the Rav Shaka. On what do you rest this trust of yours? When life falls apart, that's the question you have to answer. What can I trust in? What will not fail me? And so the Rav Shaka runs through a list of everything Hezekiah has been putting his trust in. First, Hezekiah had put his trust in military alliances. So verse 6, he says, Behold, you are trusting in Egypt. The Hezekiah had formed an alliance with the Egyptians to rebel against Assyria. And it had failed him. Egypt had suffered defeat by the hands of the Assyrians. And so the Rav Shaka says, this has failed you. Then he tells Hezekiah, you can't trust in your military power. So he mocks Judah and the king saying, if you need 2,000 horses to fight us, we will give you 2,000 of our own horses to fight us because we're not worried about you. Military power will not deliver you, Hezekiah. And that's been Hezekiah's trust, forming alliances, military power, building up his military. It's all failed him. And then the Rav Shaka gets to the crux of the issue, the point of the whole sermon this morning. Hezekiah, the Rav Shaka says, you cannot put your trust in God because God sent me here to take you out. So Hezekiah, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Everything has failed you. Have you been in that place? I've been there. And how did you respond in your moments of life falling apart? What did you rest your trust in? Before we think about that ourselves, let's see what Hezekiah does in response. And it's, it's pretty stunning. The first thing he does is nothing. He just leaves the Rabshaka with no answer. Pretty shocking giving. The Rabshaka has just given Hezekiah an ultimatum. And this guy represents the most powerful military force in the world. He's got a, an army, a contingent army surrounding Jerusalem. And he goes to Hezekiah and says, 
yield immediately to me or die even worse. And Hezekiah just walks away. No response. Why doesn't he say anything? Well, the second thing he does is he puts on sackcloth. And that's a way of communicating through, through physical dress. I don't have the resources. This is my fault. And I'm helpless. Imagine a king responding to a crisis like that. Or a political leader. This was my fault. And, and I take responsibility. That's what Hezekiah does by putting on sackcloth. And the third thing he does is he summons the prophet Isaiah. To seek God to find out what to do. This is a good step. This is a promising step. And here's what Isaiah says will happen. This is Isaiah 37 verses 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Syria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own lands. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Hezekiah, God says, I will save you. And this great king, Sennacherib, who threatens you, he's not even going to get to Jerusalem. He's going to die in his own country. Now imagine being in Hezekiah's place. The Rabshakeh threatening. No doubt Assyria has, has sent them the most intimidating contingent army they can. So the army outside of Jerusalem, that's not even the full army. There's more people coming. And Isaiah comes and says to this king, you don't have to do anything. I'll take care of it all. Now it's easy to pretend like this is a nice little Bible story. Of course we should all trust in God. And then we can all go have a nice pot of chili later this afternoon Take a nice little nap. We can trust God. That's not where we're going. There is tension in this story. And don't skip past it. The tension you have felt or will feel when your life will fall apart. When you will be forced to ask the question, what do I trust in now? On what do I base this trust of mine? I remember vividly what it was like to hold uh, the experience of the birth of my first son, Isaiah. Lots of anticipation, but when I held this, this vulnerable infant, I came to the realization that I did not have the resources or the power to protect him from the reality of this world. No chance. Zero. And I felt overwhelmed. And one of the songs I sung repeatedly to my son uh, after he was born is the well-known song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And a line stuck out to me in that song that I'd never noticed in my life until I sang it to my, my infant child. Little ones to him belong. And while I, I knew I was responsible to my son as his father, God is ultimately responsible for my son. Because little ones to him belong. And that meant a lot holding my child as, an, as a newborn infant. And five years later when I learned he had a devastating neuro, neurological condition, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, when life punched me in the face in a way I had never been punched before, 
That became a, a nice line, but, but more a question. Do I believe this? On what do I rest this trust of mine? Can I trust God now, given what has happened? And for a great number of us, you've been there or you're there now. Or you're going to be there. And this is it. I'm preparing you for for the moment. That question on what do I rest this trust of mine is a real question. You will ask the entirety of your life. It's the heart of this story. So let's keep following this story. So everything happens exactly as God tells Hezekiah. The Rabshakeh, who was a representative of Sennacherib, suddenly leaves Jerusalem and goes back to the main army of the Assyrians. Why? Well, what we know from history is that the Assyrians suffered a military defeat at the hands of the Egyptians, which is why the Rabshakeh had to suddenly depart Jerusalem. Suddenly, Hezekiah is not as in, in as vulnerable as a position as he was. Maybe his military alliance with Egypt is working. Maybe his trust in his own military power was the right choice. Maybe he doesn't have to trust God anymore. I love the way John Oswald, a theologian, comments on this passage. Every human leader, no matter how many times he may have trusted God, is still prone to self-reliance when the pressure is withdrawn. When the pressure is off, how many of us stop trusting in God? When life falls apart, we cry out to God, yes. And then life begins to come back together and we forget about God. We start trusting in other things. We go right back to life without Him. So is that what Hezekiah will do? Well, the Rabshakeh, no doubt, Hezekiah is asking these questions of himself. Sends a letter from the distance to be read to Hezekiah and the royal courts to remind Hezekiah, we are only delayed and we are still coming for you. Submit or die. Nothing's changed. So uh, the Rabshakeh sends that letter. It's read to Hezekiah. And here's what happens. Verse 14 of chapter 37 uh, 37 of the book of Isaiah. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So for the second time, the most powerful military in the world comes to Hezekiah demanding a response, and he just leaves the room with nothing. Says nothing. Just imagine that. You're summoned by a powerful person. You just walk away. No response. And that's because Hezekiah has access to a more powerful person. And that's where he's going. It's into the temple and he's going to pray. And he he literally spreads the letter out before the temple. And then he prays an incredible prayer. And I'm going to read it for us. It starts in verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel... Enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. And truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their lands. 
have cast their gods in the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hands, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you alone are the Lord. What a prayer. Now that prayer could be a whole sermon, uh, and if you come to Advanced Commitment Night, it might be. A short one. But I will, I will limit myself to what I believe is the heart of this prayer. When Hezekiah says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. Enthroned above the cherubim. What does that mean? Well, in the temple where Hezekiah is praying, there was, there was something called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, there were, were cherubim, which were representatives of angelic beings. See, Israel was not allowed to to carve an idol to represent God. Not allowed to have it. And instead, what they had was this this mercy seat with a cherubim, which was figurative of like, that was God's footstool. So you walk into the temple and you can imagine like the living God is is there and his feet are resting on the cherubim. So when Hezekiah says, God enthroned above the cherubim, what he's saying is, you are right here with me. You're dwelling amongst us, God. You're right here with me. And after the prayer finishes, Isaiah visits Hezekiah a second time and says, uh, the same thing I said earlier, it's, nothing's changed. This king is going to be taken out in his own country. So on what does Hezekiah rest this trust of his? We've got his answer. It's God. It's the Lord. And so what's, what's your answer to the question, on what do you rest this trust of yours? And again, I want to say, this isn't like pastor setup time. Obviously, you're gonna, you probably know my answer to that question. But um, that doesn't mean it's not a hard question. The story, the text, is inviting you to wrestle through that question, to not just give an answer and move on. Hezekiah has the world power of his day threatening his life. He's vulnerable. And while I doubt you've ever had like your neighbors surround your house threatening your life, like if you live in Valpo, I doubt there's ever been a time when like a group of maroon sweatshirted Chesterton people surrounded your house <laughs> and said, we're going to take you out. If you don't, that probably has never happened. So it's a different, I admit, I admit, it's a different scenario. And yet, I bet you've been in that place, totally vulnerable, totally broken, asking So what do I trust now? And if you've never been there, you will be at some point. Maybe it was the moment you got cut from the team you wanted to make, and that just, that devastated you. Maybe it was a friend moving away or a friend betraying you. And maybe it was a death. Maybe it was a diagnosis. Whatever it is, the story of Isaiah 36 and 37, the story of the whole Bible is that God wants to be near to you and available to you to deliver you. That promise is all over the Bible. One of my favorite lines is Psalm 149, verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. 
Cry out to the Lord. He's near to you in that moment. He hears you. And he can save you. That's why the tagline for the whole Gather Initiative, where we want to go as a church, is Isaiah 56, 7. We want to be a church that is a house of prayer for all people. And so while I believe deeply in the changes I think we need to make to our building, I believe in that. The ultimate vision of this season of ministry for our church is that we are to be a, a house of prayer, a people with our lives spread out before the Lord saying, we trust in you because we know you listen to us and you're enthroned above the share beam. You're near to us. You're available to us. You dwell amongst us. A people who trust our Father and cry out to him because we know he's listening to us. He can help. And if this morning you're sitting there saying, man, that's great. I just don't feel that. That's okay. I've been there. Which is why we need the church. A community of people who can bring us into the presence of God. Who can sometimes be the faith and trust that we need but we don't have yet. So we tag along with them. A people gathered in the presence of of God. And that's why I believe investing deeply in the local church. Because it's the place of God's presence. We don't need a mercy seat in Sherebim anymore. We have the Spirit of God dwelling amongst His people here. And so I could tell you a story of how I experienced that. But I'd rather have you hear a story from someone else. Uh, So I want us to take a look at a video from uh, T.J. Frayn about his experience within this community. Take a look. My name is T.J. Frayn. My wife is Hannah Frayn. She's the better half. Uh, We have one beautiful daughter named Sophie. Uh, We have a beautiful son named Lee. Uh, Sophie is three, Lee is three months. I first came to Liberty because uh, my wife and I had been living in Indianapolis. I had taken a job down there and decided that it just wasn't long-term. We knew we wanted a family. We want to raise our kids around family. So we decided to move home um, and we started looking for churches immediately. We walked into Liberty and uh, we immediately met so many pastors. I saw so many friends I haven't seen in years. Well, the five years I was in Indianapolis and we've been there ever since. Something that's really meant a lot to us uh, in our time at Liberty Bible Church is being involved in a small group that's done wonders for us. I'm surprised how open I've become with small group. I've learned that it is just so important to have your core body of believers with you who've experienced what you're going through but also are experiencing it at the same time. The support that we've had through difficult times has been phenomenal. Our most uh, significant spiritual moment uh, was after we experienced our second miscarriage and uh, Liberty Bible Church really came around us and helped us through that time. I didn't know how to process it and so I went to work And after I went to work, I went to church to set up the chairs and stage, and uh, I was doing it with Wes Booker. And I didn't, he he just, he's like, what's going on with you? And I was just like, what? And he's like, well, you're not talkative, you're not chipper. And I was like, I just had a tough day, and we were in the parking lot. And uh, he's like, what's going on? And I told him, and he just gave me a hug. And that moment, I knew I was in the right place at the right time. And I called my wife, and she's like, I just got a meal delivered from Elena. And I think that was a defining moment. I was like, oh, we're, we're in our second home. 
Liberty is a great investment because there's there's just people from all generations in the congregation. You know, there's there's kids care. I I we our small group meets down in the basement, and across from our room in the basement is uh, the the old folks. I don't I don't know the right terms for those the older people, the wisest of them all. They're rowdy and they're loud and they're having a good time, and and that makes me happy because it's like, okay, I know that as long as this church is up and running, there's going to be something for me to be given and for something for me to give to. And that, that feeds me on many different levels. I think I'm, I'm most excited about the opportunities that are going to come from the Gather Initiative, uh, not just for myself, but for everyone that I could think of and people that I don't even know yet. Single moms will benefit from this. I mean, just regular families will benefit from this. Elderly will benefit from this. My children will benefit from this. And I hope my children's children benefit from this. And I, I don't know if it's weird for me to think that far ahead, but with something like this, it's, it's not just about larger buildings. It's about filling the seats of those buildings with people that need to be served even if they don't know they need to be served yet. And that, that's what excites me. How many of us have been in a moment of life where life hits and there's Wes Booker in the parking lot? <laughs> or life hits and, and your Milena showed up with a meal to remember you, the pre- to remind you of the presence of God. And so we are to be a people who seek our Father's help so that we can be our Father's presence to others in their moment of need. There are times I need the presence of God, and I need you to be that for me. It's why I believe that the local church is God's plan A for salvation to this world. Not because we're better than others, not because we're smarter than others, but because we have access to the one who used to be enthroned above the cherubim, and now has sent his spirit into the lives of every Christian in the world. He hears us. He saves us. And we have that story. And on the days when I wonder, can I really trust this? There's you for me. And on days when you could say, can I really trust you? Can I really trust this? I'll be right here saying yes. Yes, you can. So on what do you rest this trust of yours? Well, let's see how God finishes the story of Hezekiah. The story ends in in, uh, verses 36 and 39 of Isaiah 37, and here is what we read. Uh, The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Syria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. As he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god... Adramalak and Sheresar, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they had escaped into the land of Ararat, Esherhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. And just like that, the most powerful man in the world is no more. And maybe you're wondering, did that, did that really happen like that? That seems pretty wild. Uh, well, Sennacherib, like most kings in his day... And like most politicians in our day, built a monument to himself. 
It is called Sennacherib's prison. And on the prison, he mentions all of his military exploits, all the people and kings he destroyed. And he gets to Hezekiah. And he says of Hezekiah this, I shut up Hezekiah like a caged bird in Jerusalem. And then it ends. And most historians note, wait, Hezekiah rebelled against you, made a fool of you, and all you did was cage him up? You didn't take him out? Why not? What happens that Hezekiah escaped the cage? This makes no sense, that the most powerful man in the world could not take care of a little king in Judah. What a strange coincidence, isn't it? I don't know what you uh, need saved from today. I don't know what will happen in your life in the future that you will need saved from. What, you, what will make you ask, well, what do I trust in now? But my hope is in this moment or in that moment, you'll remember the story of the Bible, which is full of strange coincidences. My favorite is of a man who lived several centuries ago, born in obscurity. But incredibly, he amassed a significant following of people. People claimed he healed them. He did miracles, all kinds of crazy things. His popularity attracted a large number of people to himself, so much so that the religious authorities of his day and the political authorities of his day began to think he was dangerous. So they planned to put an end to his life. And he, like Hezekiah, went to the Father and asked, Let this cup pass from me if possible. But this man got a different answer than Hezekiah. He was not delivered from the world power of his day. He didn't have an angel army start a massive attack on his behalf. Although he was clear if he wanted to, he could have. But he didn't. He went on a cross, was publicly humiliated, shamed, made an example of, and put an end to his movement, his people. That's what should have happened, right? You died an execution. I mean, how many executed people in the United States have, have ended up with a large following after their execution? No one. And yet, 2,000 years after that moment, that man has more than 2 billion people who believe he is God, that he's still alive, and has promised to come back to make all things new, to conquer evil once and for all. And those people believe that if you cry to him, he, he, he hears you. If you trust him, he will save you. And so I don't know what evil in your life threatens your trust in God. And I don't know what will happen to you that will make you trust, question your trust in God. I can just tell you, I'm one of the people who looks at the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And know with Jesus, whatever hits you, it's never too late for him to break in and save you. The amazing thing about the Bible is not that, the, that God took out the Assyrian army. It's that God sent his son to experience what Hezekiah experienced, to experience what you experience. Life punched Jesus in the face. And it's why if you're angry at God, angry because he's disappointed you, let you down, failed you, so that you can't believe he exists, the one thing we can never say about Jesus is that he hasn't been exactly in the same place where you are, wondering, on what will I base this trust that's why I love what Dorothy Sayers says. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering, subject to sorrow and death. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with creation, he's kept his own rules and played fair. 
He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He's, he has himself gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial, irrational family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. And what do you need to trust God with today? Jesus has been there. He's been all the way down to death itself. So whatever it is, the message of the gospel is that you can lose your life. God can still save you from that. There's nothing he cannot save you from. He took it all onto a cross. Took it into the grave with him and rose three days later to offer you his hands. So, on what do you rest this trust of yours? But the good news of the gospel, he didn't just offer you his hand. He offered you his table. To come and, and eat with him as a down payment for the future joy we will have in his kingdom when he brings it for good in the future. And so we're going to move into a time of, of communion now. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who practices and believes uh, Jesus is who he said he is, uh, we want to invite you to come. We have uh, five stations up front, two up in the balcony. Uh, come, take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together with the instructions of those who are serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, uh, we'd love you to, for you to become one. I'll be in the hallway. We have lots of people with yellow landers who would love to talk to you about what that means. Um, this table can be yours as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then as you're ready, uh, come to his table. Uh, Father, as we, as we meditate on the question of Hezekiah and Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh, uh, wh where do I trust now? Uh, would the table be the reminder that the person we trust gave his body for us, uh, shed his blood for us, uh, to get us home, uh, entered into the place of vulnerability, of, of Hezekiah's place, of spreading the prayer out before you. What, what now, God? Save me. And he got a no so we could get a yes. And so now may we come to his table full of the salvation promises of you, our God, our Father, who through the Son has given us life, that by the Spirit we might live and walk in newness of life. Father, may we experience that now, I pray in Jesus' name. being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.